The following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. If you'll join me in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And this evening we'll be looking at verses 25 through 34. Earlier in the week, I was planning on us going back to the book of Exodus for tonight's sermon, but the more I was thinking and praying and taking note of what I've been hearing and seeing, it's a lot of comments from people about the coming year, about 2024. And so I thought it appropriate to take a break from Exodus and to uh, give us a, uh, a look into God's Word as we look into the new year and something important for us to consider, each of us individually and collectively as a church. And as we come to the end of a year, we come to an end of what many would consider a tumultuous year in many ways. Inflation continues to be high. We are coming into a very contentious election year in America. We have two major wars going on that our tax dollars are committed to and the possibility of more direct involvement is on the rise. There was just this past week an airstrike in Iraq against Iranian forces who attacked American troops. There was a very uh, sad clash in Nigeria that left hundreds dead or maimed. China is threatening Taiwan. Iran is an ever-present threat against the U.S. and our allies. Crime is on the rise in almost every American city. Drug overdoses are increasing by the day. Debates rage on about border security and economic concerns and corruption and election interference and censorship and gun control and identity politics and gender reassignment surgeries and abortion and expanding the Supreme Court. So many different things and as a result, many people are anxious. Many Christians are anxious. I admit that I follow most of these things, all of these things, very closely. And if I'm not careful to remind myself of the truth of God's word, I too can grow a little bit anxious wondering about tomorrow. Worrying about the future for my own children. And Lord willing, one day my grandchildren. What kind of world will they live in? What will be left for them? These kinds of concerns are not new, of course. Christians have always had various situations and circumstances that have left them concerned about the future and mankind in general wonders. The Library of Congress reports that mass, that mass hysteria branded Halley's Comet the evil eye in the sky in 1910. And it prompted the sale of anti-comet pills and gas masks if it hit the planet and triggered an apocalyptic explosion. It harmlessly passed between the earth and the sun, May of that year, and then it did later again in our lifetime. Many of you will remember in our lifetime that stores sold Y2K emergency kits and non-perishable food before New Year's Day in 2000. 
when people thought computers that operated government records and utility systems and banks and anything really that contained a computer chip would crash and cause apocalyptic chaos. Estimates are that about $300 billion was spent upgrading computer systems to withstand the supposed millennium bug. No doubt as you read through the Bible, and particularly in the minor prophets, you see circumstances when the people of God almost certainly had a sense that things would come to an end. There was widespread uncertainty and chaos and suffering. They were exiled. They were tortured. They were sawn in two. They were always anxious about invading armies. They were surrounded by enemies. And they were not only witnessing, but often participating in the evil of the world all around them. Throughout the history of the church, there have been bleak times when Christians have had an overwhelming sense that their lives were about to get much worse. Pain and suffering were about to intensify, and the world that their children and their grandchildren would have to live in was going to be exponentially worse than any of them had ever faced. Imagine being a Reformed Baptist in the early 17th century in England a nonconformist who wanted to remain faithful to what you understand to be true from the word of God and yet being executed as a heretic or a blasphemer, being a real possibility. Think of what it was like for the disciples when they watched our Lord Jesus being taken away to a sham trial and then being made to carry his cross to Golgotha to suffer the most horrific death sentence known to man at that time. Perhaps there's a very good reason why James didn't say that we might have trials of various kinds in this life, but he instructed us how to respond when we meet trials of various kinds. Remember, it was Jesus himself who said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So as we gather tonight, In just a few hours, this clock will strike midnight and another new year will begin, 2024. Will it be the end of democracy in America? Will America meet her demise? Will the entire world collapse and all the doomsday preppers will finally get to use their canned goods and water filters? The answer is, we don't know. We have no idea what tomorrow will bring. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody in the world knows. We can plan. We can prepare. We can guess. But we don't know. I remember 2019. It was a great year for my family. We had a lot of big, great plans for 2020. But then everything changed for all of us. So it seems appropriate to me that we are reminded from God's word about how we look ahead into the new year to come. What does God's word teach us when it comes to an unknown future? How should we go into a new year? And for that matter, how should we go into every single new day when we wake up? So let's consider our text, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, I know this is a familiar passage to most of you, and it's a great reminder for us as we look ahead to the new year. We need to be reminded that being anxious for tomorrow will not add a single hour to our lifespan. Being anxious tomorrow won't change the outcome of tomorrow. Being anxious about tomorrow will not make the circumstances any more favorable or easier. Being anxious about tomorrow is an exercise in futility. But the Lord doesn't just command us to not be anxious. He gives us several important things to remember. And as we're reading the news and as we're wondering how things pan out, we can keep our hearts in check and not be anxious. The Lord is so kind to us. He tells us, he commands us to not be anxious. That's clear enough. And we should strive to heed his command and be obedient, knowing that it's what's best for us and most glorifying to him in our lives. And yet he doesn't just leave us with a command. He counsels us on how it is we can do exactly what he has commanded. And so we're going to look at four ways we can keep our hearts from being anxious as we look ahead to 2024. With uncertainty looming, with no assurances that things are going to be anything like they are today or they were yesterday, without any real way of knowing what day-to-day life will look like, what about tomorrow? When tomorrow comes, what shall we say? How should we think? What should we believe? Four things from the Lord Jesus. And the first is that no matter what the new year brings, we must remember that God provides for all the needs of his children. Look again, I I really love what Jesus says here. I think about this a lot where he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I'm reminded of one of the great blessings of being a child. Most children, 
And I realize, of course, there are exceptions, but I think that this was the case for most of us. It's the case for most children, most of our children anyway. They go through life day by day, not really thinking at all about whether or not all of the little things for the day are taken care of. Was the electricity bill paid? Was the water bill paid? Do we have enough money in the bank to pay for the mortgage this month? Is there gas in the car? Did we order a gift for that birthday party coming up on Saturday? Will our insurance cover our prescription costs? What will we make for dinner? Is it healthy? Do I have all the ingredients? And on and on and on. And the blessing of being a child is that there's this moment in life when there really is very little that you actually have to think about or keep in balance throughout the day. And that's a good thing. Wake up, clean your room, do your chores, do your schoolwork, read books, go outside, watch TV and play and play and play. Oh my, what a life. It's why, when it's, it's, it's why it's particularly grating when you've had a difficult day working through all these big questions and your kid, who just had a sugary snack 10 minutes ago, comes to you in the middle of preparing dinner and says, when will it be ready? I'm starving. What are you making? Oh, I don't like that. Well, good, that's the plan. I want to make you starve. And when I do feed you, I want to make sure you hate it. Mission accomplished. But this is sort of what the Lord has in mind for us here. Jesus is taking us by the hand and he's, he's walking us outside and saying, look at the tree up here. Look at the birds in the tree up there. You see them? They're, they're just sitting there. They're not very smart. They don't do much. They're dirty, they have pretty mundane lives for the most part, but you know what? Your heavenly Father makes sure that they have food. He provides for them. He gives them what they need to survive, and and tomorrow they're going to do the exact same thing they did today, and he's going to continue to provide for them. He gives them the seed and the plants and the worms and the bugs that they need to survive. And in fact, he uses them to to, uh, feed the plants and to grow more plants and to spread those seeds. And it goes on and on. So don't worry, dear child of God. What do you have to worry about? Because the Lord cares so much more for you. And we're, we're like the child so often when we, when we worry, when we're anxious, when we're so concerned about tomorrow, we're like the child pulling on the pant leg saying, I'm starving. We're so focused on here and now and our own circumstances in the moment that we don't realize that the big, huge, eternal things that God is doing are going on every day and all around us. Things we cannot see, things we often don't know about, things we may never know about, and yet still impact all of us tremendously. So like a child who does not put together all of the pieces of what we're doing day by day in all the details of adult life and how it all fits together, we really have no sense oftentimes to stop and to think that the Lord is doing far more than we could ever imagine. And instead of complaining in that moment, we should instead think, God has always given me everything that I need. 
And he keeps the grass growing. He keeps the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky above. And he's giving me breath in my lungs and clothes on my back and a roof over my head. He will give me what I need because he always has. Now, brothers and sisters, our God is so completely in control of all the natural universe that he even provides the berries that are eaten, the insects that are in the air or the ground, the worms that are pulled from the dirt for the birds. And what we see when we look at the birds is a a creature who does not act as though God is only a merciful provider for today, but won't be tomorrow. Birds don't anxiously hoard things in case, they, uh, in, in case disaster is ahead. They go about their work as though the sun will come up again tomorrow. God will still be God. And so Jesus reasons, how much more should we, as God's children created in his image, be content in God's mercy as the great provider of all things? We have the ability to honor God by faith and God values that faith more than he values the birds. And so we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be fearful when we think about what lies ahead in a new year because God can be counted on to work for us in 2024 just as much as he can be counted on today. You remember the Israelites in the wilderness when God was providing manna for them from heaven. Remember, he gave them this provision. He said, collect exactly and only what you need for today. But what happened? Well, the Israelites, just like us, they could have just as easily been members of Emmanuel Baptist Church. They got worried about tomorrow. They were worried that if they didn't collect more than what they needed for today, they wouldn't have what they needed tomorrow. Maybe he won't send it tomorrow and we'll all go hungry. They weren't confident in God providing even though he promised he would. And so they hoarded up manna. And then the next day, what happened to it? All of it was spoiled. But it wasn't that the manna had a short shelf life. Because on the day before the Sabbath, they were allowed to gather enough for two days. And it lasted. And so... God wasn't teaching them that when you get manna, it spoils quickly. He's pushing them to trust God more faithfully, to trust that when God says he will provide, he will provide. And and when God says he will never leave us or forsake us, we can trust that he will never leave us or forsake us. When God is going to give us what we need, he often gives us just what we need in the amount that we need. Brothers and sisters, we are not the birds of the air. We are the children of God. Do you trust him like this? We need to grow up in our faith from being like little children and stand tall as those who are mature in the faith who can look to God and trust that he will ensure that we always have exactly what we need when we need it. Secondly, No matter what 2024 brings, we must remember that we are important to God. Related to our first point, we get this from the second point in verses 28 through 32. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus is continuing to point out things outside. You can imagine he's sort of walking us through his created world. And now he's pointing out the lilies. And he says, notice, they're plants. They don't have their own will. They can't do whatever they want to do. They cannot make themselves look a certain way. But what does God do? He adorns them with beauty. He makes them to look as beautiful as they are. And and as you're looking at the lilies, look over here at the grass. The grass is green. The golf courses are looking beautiful. It's all so nice and fresh and it smells good and it looks beautiful. God has done this. It's God's handiwork to make it all look the way that it does and he finds delight in that even though it's just going to spring up and die off. It's going to be alive today and tomorrow it will be cut and thrown into the oven. But listen, Jesus' argument is if the Lord finds delight in making the grass beautiful and it's here today and gone tomorrow, then surely, dear Christian, his delight will express itself all the more in how he shows you how important you are to him and all the ways he cares for you and provides. I lived in Savannah, Georgia for just about 20 years. And over that time, I gained a bit of a reputation as a guy that knew the best restaurants in town. Savannah has become a foodie destination. I made it my mission in life to eat at all of them. And not just eat at them, but to eat breakfast there and lunch there and dinner and dessert and to try them all to know the whole menu so over time I made a comprehensive list wrote a lot of reviews and I started to get more and more people asking me uh, where should I go to eat when I have guests in town or when I want to go out on a nice date and to this day I still get messages people asking me that some of you here have asked me that when you travel there for vacation well Fairly recently, I got a text from a Savannah friend, and it said this, I need some restaurant recommendations. Where should I take my wife to go to eat in Savannah? And when I'm asked that question, I usually respond by asking, how much do you want to spend? And I loved the reply I got. He said, no limit. The best of the best, I will break the bank this time. Now, first of all, that is my kind of eating out. Let me tell you, I love an amazing feast with incredible food and drinks and company and spending more that seems reasonable because it's not just about the meal, is it? I know Carlos and Patrick are rejoicing right now, me saying this. But, but think, think, about, think about that response. Think about that attitude. I want to show this person that I love them, that I care about them. So we're going to put on nice clothes. We're going to get a babysitter. We're going to spend time just us. And we're going to eat and drink and laugh and talk and walk and enjoy ourselves and, and delight in one another and make wonderful memories together because God has designed us to delight in his good gifts because he delights in these very things and he loves providing them for us. 
Now, of course, economic times for many of us are tough and some people are struggling. And I'm not downplaying that or suggesting that we know God loves us because we have enough money to spend on an expensive meal or something. That's not my point. Very few of us are dressed like Solomon, but that doesn't mean God doesn't care for us in the same way or that there aren't blessings abounding all around us. But let me ask, where have you ever seen a disciple of Jesus who did not have the adornment he needed to do what God called him to do? Now be careful. Don't don't measure the perfection of God's provision by some standard of your own making. And do not forget that most of what you have and most of what I have is not what we need, but what we have been graciously given to enjoy and delight in because God loves pouring his loving kindness out on his children because he cares about us. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe, maybe you've had to look at your finances over the last several years and pinch a few pennies a little bit because life really is getting more and more expensive at a rapid pace, especially here in South Florida. But when you have to do that, when you pull back a bit on the costs, you begin to realize God really does give us far more than we actually need. We are absolutely spoiled here in America. We just, we just finished Christmas and we, we give each other gifts and we enjoy good food and drink and each other's company and yet we often forget that for us, especially living in the West, every morning we wake up is like Christmas morning. We receive gifts upon gifts upon gifts from the Lord because he delights in us and wants to adorn us. It's as if we were... As, as if the Lord was taking us to the finest restaurant in town and saying, order as much of everything that you want and don't worry about the cost. I want you to enjoy it all. I'm sparing no expense. So Jesus tells us, don't have little faith when tomorrow comes. Have big faith knowing that you don't need to be anxious. Listen, even when things seem helpless and desperate, we do not need to be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It is for those who do not know Christ and do not trust in a great, gracious, loving, holy, and merciful God to worry about such things, but not the children of God. Now, maybe you don't feel important to God. Maybe you're down and depressed and stressed and all the turmoil in the world has just been so difficult for you, that you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning and you're struggling to, to stay focused and do your work and keep your mind actively engaged in what na- needs to be done each and every day. That's the national story in many ways. Stories of suicide and divorce and substance abuse are quickly on the rise right now because everything is pressing in and pressing in on all of us. And if we don't remind ourselves every single day that we have a God who delights in us when it feels so much like there's so little to delight in, where else can we turn for hope? Now, friend, if you do not know Christ, that feeling of grief and, and hopelessness and depression and desperation and that constant fear and worry about tomorrow, it's not going to just go away. And I don't want to suggest that being a Christian means that, that you don't have some of those same feelings and worries because we all do, but we have hope. 
And we have assurance. And we have the promise of God and this experience of communion with God to know that when tomorrow comes, we will be cared for and we will be loved. Do you know that? Do you, do you live that reality? If you don't, you can. And the Lord invites you to turn to him by faith, trusting him to provide all that you need in this life, but more importantly, to provide you with forgiveness of your sins by his perfect law-fulfilling life and his sinner's death and his glorious resurrection from the dead. Defeating the grave, assuring us of our own glorious resurrection from this life into the new heavens and the new earth. And for the Christian, no matter how bad things get, we recognize, yes, we can hope in God, and yes, he will provide for us, but really, the worst that could happen in this life is that our life ends, and we wake up gloriously on the shores of heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friend, if you do not know Christ by faith, you can turn to him and put all of your hope and trust in him and walk with him as a savior and a friend who provides for all of your needs because as his child, he will delight in you. Will you turn to Christ? Do you know Christ? I pray that you will. Thirdly, no matter what 2024 brings, we must use all of God's means to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look again, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, a lot of us have spent time lately thinking about our priorities in life, and really it's become something of a big discussion. What are our priorities? What really matters? The Lord Jesus tells us as Christian what our primary priority ought to be. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what does that look like? How do we seek the kingdom of God? Seeking the kingdom is just as much about what we are doing and saying and focusing on. In other words, being kingdom-minded, being kingdom-oriented in our actions. It's just as much about that as it is about the things that we are resting in and depending on. So briefly, let me address both of these. First, seeking the kingdom of God in our thoughts and our actions. I think we've all probably struggled with this a little bit. As responsible citizens in the world, in our country, it's important to stay informed and know what's going on. We shouldn't put our heads in the sand and go about our days without any thought whatsoever about current events. The Lord isn't telling us to go about our lives completely uninterested and uncaring about our circumstances or our neighbors or our leaders or the latest going-ons in the world. However, we have to be careful. It's easy to get pulled in to whatever the debate of the day is and to begin to think that the best use of our time and the best exertion of our effort is making sure that nobody on the internet goes on without being corrected in all of their wrong opinions and rantings and ravings about the latest blunder in the White House or Congress 
Now, I have opinions about everything, and I hold them strongly, and I know you do too. But I think when 2024 comes, the thing we need to be able to say as God's people is that we handled it well with a few things in mind, one of those being wisdom. Are we being wise? We can only do what we can do based on the information that we have. And in our day, there's information everywhere from all kinds of sources, and it's difficult to know who to trust and where to find it. But the reality is that we need, first and foremost, to turn to God's Word to know what wisdom is and how to pursue and apply wisdom. And then, in that wisdom, we need to consider all the information and make decisions and draw conclusions. So at the very least, what it has meant is that at the same way that we don't leave our doors unlocked to our homes, we seek to make wise decisions in every other area of life. We don't just walk out into the street without looking both ways. And so, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't spend our money without a budget or stay home when we have an opportunity to vote or not pay attention to what our kids are being taught in school. We need to use sanctified wisdom and be involved. And sometimes that leads to specific actions. But wisdom also dictates that we don't do everything with this sense of absolute fear. We can't be a people who are afraid to go outside because of climate change or afraid to go to the store because we might get caught there when a lunatic decides to start shooting or afraid to travel because there are terrorists in the world. There is a mission field out there for the church to work in amongst our neighbors and co-workers and friends, and we need to pursue the kingdom of God wisely, engaging in communal life, trusting God's sovereignty, while also taking the appropriate measures to protect ourselves and our families within reason. We must be wise, but we also must be patient. How the next year works out for you is going to look different for me. We all have different things that we need to think about when we're making major decisions with sanctified wisdom. And because of that, we're going to have to be patient with one another. Not just in the church, but with our neighbors and our coworkers. Sometimes I see or hear about Christians doing things that I don't understand or that I wouldn't do, but I have to stop and ask myself, is it sinful? And if it's not, I don't have any right to judge their decision. We may disagree, and guess what? That's fine. That's okay. Everyone in the world doesn't need to do everything exactly how I do it. And I'm certain there are things that I will say or that I will do that will leave you scratching your head, and it's fine. You're allowed to be wrong as long as you're not in sin. It's funny to me. I hear people saying, we're living in uncertain times. Isn't every single minute of every single day uncertain times? There will always be a lot of uncertainty. And so we need to proceed with patience and we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And we need to pray that God will help us to do that in the new year. We also need to be honest. There is an opportunity when people around us are feeling anxious and uneasy for some people to take advantage of the circumstances and in so doing to not be completely honest. 
There are ways that we can easily give in to our flesh by using the circumstances of the world as an excuse to not do things, not because it's the right or wise course of action to follow given the circumstances, but because we are either lazy or greedy or just looking for ways around what is otherwise a normal way of doing things according to God's word. And there's a lot of things I can say about that, but here's the main one for us as the church. Don't let the inevitable trials of 2024 be a reason to stay away from the people of God because it's more convenient to stay laying up in bed and watching on your phone or your computer screen instead of coming and gathering with the church of God. The two are not the same at all. We need to gather as God's people, so we must do what we can do to be together. We need the encouragement of the body of Christ. We need to be reminded that we are not alone. And when we face challenging days, we don't have to face them on our own. We need to be edified by one another. We need to sing together and and pray together and hear the reading and the preaching of God's word together. We need to feast together and laugh together and cry together. We need to eat the Lord's Supper together, rejoice in baptisms together. We need to share our lives with one another. So make sure that no matter what's going on out there, that we're gathering together in here and in our homes and we're not being like the sluggard of Proverbs 22 who says there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I just need to stay home. Now, be honest. You may be a bit fearful. You might have days when you're feeling anxious. But what's the best thing to do when you're feeling anxious? Gather with God's people. And I guarantee that the Lord will bless your obedience and your honesty and you will feel some relief. And here's the second part of seeking the kingdom of God. It means that no matter what's going on and no matter what comes tomorrow, we continue to utilize the means of grace day by day. Brothers and sisters, no matter what's going on, we need to use some time each and every day to be in the word of God, to spend time in prayer, to read good books, to study the things of God. And in all of these ways, we're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are growing in our faith. We are communing with our great God. So whatever tomorrow brings, we have all that God intends for our good and the best thing we can do. The absolute best thing we can do is continue to utilize the means of grace that when tomorrow comes, we are in steadfast, warm, deep, felt communion with God. It is the means he uses to draw us closer to him that we might trust in him all the more. Finally, no matter what 2024 brings, we should focus our attention on today. The Lord Jesus ends this passage with an important exhortation. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The things that God is doing and the ways that God is working in your life that you can see that you can experience, that you can appreciate are happening right here and right now. And being anxious takes us away from the present where God is currently at work. 
It's really easy for us to start focusing all of our attention on tomorrow. We want to, we want to control it somehow. We want to know what's coming tomorrow and maybe there's something I can do about it today and our tendency is to dwell on all of the possible outcomes and before you know it, you're five years down the road and everyone's dead and you're laid up in a gutter somewhere and yet you're fretting over all of these things to be anxious about all that could be and Jesus is saying, don't worry about what could be. Focus on what is. Now let's be careful and not push this to a place Jesus doesn't intend to go. He does not mean that we shouldn't make wise preparations that seem necessary for tomorrow's needs. If you're a farmer, the thought about tomorrow's empty silos should cause you to plant seeds in the months before you need the crop. You're planning for a future harvest that is not going to come out of the ground today. Almost everything worth doing and important in this life requires some kind of plan or forethought and preparation. Remember in Luke 14, Jesus said, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? That's important. He's not telling us we shouldn't plan or prepare, but if especially the last few years have taught us anything at all, surely it is that we can plan and prepare all that we want, but we really, absolutely, 100% do not actually know what's coming tomorrow, and there is no way we can prepare to cut off all the risks in life. So what now? Well, Jesus says sufficient for today is its own trouble. He means that our Heavenly Father, who is kind and wise beyond all measure, gives us each and every day what He knows in his divine plan, is best. And sometimes that looks a lot like pain. And sometimes that looks a lot like pleasure. But he tells us each day's troubles are enough. They are sufficient because God determines their limit. God decides what is enough and what is sufficient. You know, so often we may look at someone else's life and see the challenges they're facing and we think, I don't know how they're getting through this. I don't know how I could ever survive what they're facing. But you know what? You can't face what they're facing right now because today, here and now, when I'm looking at the trouble of someone else's life, the things they are encountering, the things they are struggling through, they're facing troubles allotted to them for today. Those aren't my troubles for today. So no, there's no way I could handle them because they're not my troubles. But here is God's ironclad promise. If those were your troubles for today, the Lord would give you all the necessary grace to be able to face those troubles and to walk through those troubles and to press on through the pain to continue by faith to put one foot in front of the other. So just like another person's troubles aren't your troubles. Tomorrow's troubles in your life are not today's troubles in your life. In other words, don't steal the time of today and all that God intends to teach you and all the ways God intends to be using you today to grow and shape you to worry about tomorrow. We must believe that God will be God just as much tomorrow as he is today. And that should be the absolute assurance that we need to be able to take some deep breaths and feel the weight of it all begin to lift.
God does not overload any day with too much trouble for us. Each day has its appointed amount. So don't reach in tomorrow and bring tomorrow's troubles into today because you don't have the grace today to handle it. The comforting point is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Today's mercies for today's troubles. Tomorrow's mercies for tomorrow's troubles. As your days, so shall your strength be. So look, you can know some of the pressures that are coming tomorrow. And maybe part of your job, whatever that is, maybe to make some preparations for what those troubles might be. But those preparations are part of today's sufficient trouble. And here's the turn in that. How those preparations will turn out tomorrow. And whether you feel strong enough today to do your part tomorrow, that's something God wants you to carry today. These are tomorrow's burdens. But we have to think, we have to plan, we have to prepare, but we have to know that whatever happens is what God has intended to happen. God does not give mercies today for bearing tomorrow's burdens, but we can still think ahead to the future. Now, perhaps you're anxious because you think God won't be with you tomorrow at all. You see troubling waters ahead. You're feeling the financial pinch right now. Your health is compromised. You have some some medical risk factors. You're worried that this is an indication. Maybe the Lord has moved on from me. He rescued me, he saved me, he brought me into his family, Christ has died for me, but maybe now I'm in the time of need and he's abandoned me. Maybe you're thinking what I hear Christians say so often and you're thinking, you know, I know God loves me, but my life is a mess. I keep sinning, I keep taking the Lord for granted, I haven't trusted him through all of this, I keep disappointing them, so there's no way he's going to continue being gracious to me as he always has. I don't deserve it. But you know what? That's not true. Now, of course, it is true that you don't deserve it, but it's not true that he would ever do that. He won't. He doesn't. He's your father. So brothers and sisters, when we step into the unknown of a new year, in just a few hours, what should we remember? This, do not be anxious. No matter what the new year brings, and it may be tough, we may feel some pain, whatever it is, the Lord will provide for our needs. No matter what 2024 brings, no matter who our next president is, no matter who your new neighbor's going to be, no matter what happens with your job or your bank account or your car or your closest friend or family member, no matter what it is, we must all remember that the Lord is in control and we do not have to be anxious. We can remember that we are important to God. We must remember to use all the means available to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that we might walk with him in greater and more intimate communion and peace. And no matter what 2024 brings, let us focus our attention not on tomorrow's troubles. Today has enough for its own. Focus on what God is teaching us and telling us today. He cares about the dirty birds in the sky and the flaps on their wings. So surely... You must know that as a child of the king, he cares for you far more. Yesterday, today, 
and absolutely 100% irrevocably without a doubt tomorrow. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you give us every reason in the world to trust you. That we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to worry about what we will eat or drink or wear or how we will do it because you will provide for your children. You are with us. You will not leave us. You will not forsake us. And no matter what may come, you give us all of the grace that is necessary for the trials of today. Help us, Lord, to not be anxious. By your spirit, calm our hearts. Help us to rest in you and help us to believe that no matter what comes, no matter what it looks like, that it is for our good and it is for your glory. And there's nothing greater than that that we could possibly ask for. And so we pray, oh God, as we look forward to a new year, that it might all be to your glory alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.